0: Good morning and welcome to a Tuesday morning edition. What's the date today? Is it the 12th? I think. October the 12th. Tuesday morning edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and hey, I've got good news, ladies and gentlemen. I know we took last Tuesday off. Yes, we did. Um, but really, I can't. I can't do a better job than our than our regular Tuesday guest, Dr. J. B. Hickson, who's back with us this morning. Hallelujah! Um, he was not with us last week because um, was at a pastors' conference in in Duluth, Minnesota. Prophecy was it a prophecy conference or just a pastors' conference, J. B.
1: Well, good morning, uh, Curtis. Yeah, it was actually uh, two conferences that they do every year back to back. They do a, a, a pastor's yeah. conference first, and we had about 110 pastors there with their wives and, from all over the country and indeed all over the world. They bring people in uh, that they've uh, kind of connected with and are ministering to from places like uh, Kenya and Nigeria and all over. Uh, so that was uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and I spoke uh, Wednesday night at that conference and then Thursday night, they kick off their annual Bible conference, um, okay. and uh, it's really a fantastic uh, place to be. I've, I've been going there for many years, although uh, circumstances have prevented me from going the last two or three years uh, uh, because of our schedule and, and so forth. So I felt like I hadn't been there in a while, but as always, the reception was very gracious. Wonderful people up there, saw some great friends, uh, reconnected with pastors from all across the country many of whom i've had the privilege of speaking in their churches but hadn't seen them maybe in one case there was a guy in uh from evansville uh, that i spoke in his church uh, 15 years ago and he's since moved on he's in wisconsin now uh and i have not had not seen him for 15 years so just things like that that are really wonderful Uh, but one of the many things i love about that those two conferences back to back there is that they're rooted in the word um, the pastors' conference every year they pick a book of the Bible and they go through it, and so this mm-hmm. year it was Second Peter, and my passage. My all, each of the keynote speakers is assigned a section, and my section was Second Peter two, one through seventeen. Oh, my favorite.
2: Ooh, okay.
1: You know, it's a powerful passage. It's uh, I called it Beware of False Prophets. Yeah. And, yeah. That message is already up in video and podcast form at the Not By Works website. I encourage people to go watch it. It's one of the harshest treatments or uh, addresses to yeah. false teachers in all of the New Testament. I mean, it's, yes, it's pretty tough. Uh, and then uh, for the pastors' cop i mean, for the believers' conference, the all, the everyone conference—they had uh, they also pick a, pat- a book of the Bible this year. Believe it or not, it was Revelation.
2: Uh, So they called
1: it Racing Through Revelation. And again, each keynote was assigned a different passage. And I was responsible for covering Revelation chapters 14 to 16, which was really fascinating. And I called it One Second Before the Second Coming. Yeah, That message is also up at the notbyworks.org website. And I really encourage our listeners uh, to watch that. You know, they they know that at Not By Works, we cover a lot of Bible prophecy information, especially in days like these, and so it was right up my alley, and I basically tried to give a glimpse, as the text does there in those three chapters, of what life will be like leading up right to the second coming of our Lord to establish his glorious kingdom, so those chapters took us all the way up through the Battle of Armageddon, and then, then you have chapter 17 and 18 about Mystery Babylon. Uh, which yeah. someone else covered. Dr. Andy Woods covered that, and then we have Chapter 19, the return of our Lord. So it was that's why yeah. I called it one second uh, before the second coming, because by the time you get to chapter the end of Chapter 16, where I ended, uh, it, he's already coming back. Chapter 17 and 18 are kind of a interlude. Um, yeah. uh, I like the way Dr. Woods uh, described it in his message. He said because uh, I, I call it, if you look at my chart on the Book of Revelation, how to outline the book, you'll see. There's a, several sections where it seems like the author takes a break from his chronological description of what's going to happen in that final seven-year period, right. some additional detailed information. And most uh, commentaries will call that interludes. I call it supplemental information. But Dr. Mm-hmm. Woods uh, basically said, and I thought it was an excellent analogy, that it's, you know, reading Revelation is like going on a hike. And, you know, you hike, 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 and then every now and then you sort of sit down open your snack bag to take a little break and, enjoy, and then, enjoy the panoramic view enjoy the exactly well said enjoy the panoramic view and then and then you get back up and start going further so uh, the book of revelation takes us all the way from uh the, the you know the church age to all the way through to the eternal state uh and uh and so i was in my section was one of those interludes kind of giving us some information up to the, or at least chapters 14 and 15, up until you get to the bowl judgment. So anyway, great stuff. I really enjoyed it, but great to be back, got back Sunday night late, and uh, uh, really was looking forward to our time uh, together this morning.
0: Yeah, we are tickled to have you back this morning, J.B. Right. Uh, and I was even more tickled when uh, yesterday, when we we uh, briefly discussed the subject matter for today that, that you're going to cover, um, and that is, uh, what is the new covenant and uh, boy if there this is also a subject where i think people can get confused sometimes so i'm glad we're going over this and clearing they're probably going to clear up a lot of information for people so take notes everybody you're you're not going to want to miss this
1: amen Maybe, whenever you're ready uh, get us started on the new covenant You you bet. So yeah, it's uh, it's a very important subject, and it's one that has been, you know, I think really um, misunderstood in many ways for 2,000 years of church history, especially by a lot of mainstream Protestant uh, you know traditions. Uh, because uh, you talk about the new covenant, and they assume it's the same thing as the church, and the church has replaced Israel, and we'll right. get into that, but, you know, when you study the new covenant, it's, it's an example of why it is so important to use a proper Bible study methods, and uh, which, by the way, if I can uh, chime in, I should have mentioned this in the opening there, Uh, Don't forget that we are resuming our series on how to read and understand the Bible uh, tomorrow night. It's live streamed at six o'clock mountain time every Wednesday night, and we're just methodically going through uh, basically a Bible study methods type uh, material. Uh, I'm calling it how to read and understand the Bible, and I hope uh, listeners will tune in for that. Of course, if you can't live stream, uh, we always record the video and the audio, and usually by late Wednesday night or early Thursday morning, you can catch those on our website. But every Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we have a great crowd, tons of live streamers, and it's uh, more interactive. You know, many of you, your listeners may have watched my What in the World is Going On series, um, which was a little bit more lecture and pretty heavy topic. And that's still up there, by the way. We're going to leave that up there uh, for the foreseeable future. We want to get the mm-hmm. message out about this uh, great satanic reset that's happening before our eyes, but the uh, Wednesday night series that we're doing now on how to read and understand the Bible is a little more interactive, uh, a little more Q&A and just kind of teaching going through it. I don't, I don't have a particular start and stop time each week, so that's tomorrow night, but obviously the New Covenant is uh, something that is mentioned in both the Old and the New Testaments, and yeah. it comes from the book of Jeremiah, and uh, Jeremiah the prophet and we'll come back to this passage in just a, in just a bit in more detail. But if you recall, in the post-exilic days uh, after the Babylonian exile, Jeremiah the prophet uh, revealed God's promise to the nation of Israel that mm-hmm. they have a future. So we're dealing, you know, late uh, 7th century BC, circa 605 BC, let's say, it was a time of period of, of incredible spiritual and moral decay and physical decay. The, the, the uh, city was about to be destroyed. Um, they were on the cusp of just devastation. Um, and God reminds them of his coming judgment because, his, because uh, the people failed to respond to Jeremiah's warnings, as was often the case with Israel. When they responded to the word of God, things went well. When they didn't, they faced God's discipline. It's no different today, by the way. Um, but because they didn't repent, uh, they, God brought judgment. And then Jeremiah the prophet, uh, you know, he's known as the weeping prophet because mm-hmm. he was just so emotional in describing what's happening to the holy city and to God's station, chosen nation. But then he gives a glimpse of hope. And you get to chapter 31, and he talks about a future covenant that yep. he will make. He wasn't making it right then. He was just uh, prophesying it. God was here, um, mm-hmm. and he says, "I'm going to make a new covenant someday." And boy, yeah. you know, you read that covenant, and it's just amazing that the amount of blessings, and it's just a stark contrast to anything the Jews would have understood in their day, having been uh, a part of a, a very uh, Uh, sacrificial system, a system with a bunch of, um, system of uh, rituals and laws and requirements and protocols, and you had to go through priests, and you know, and yet he promises that, uh, and then of course in that moment they were facing the, the hostilities of the Babylonians, so he promises that in a future all of that will be gone, and they will have unprecedented intimate relationship with the creator God. So that's kind of the backdrop. We'll come back to Jeremiah 31 in a moment, but I want to uh, explain in terms of our, where we are today in our understanding of the new covenant that uh, for 2000 years, largely the church, um, you know, since the early days of church history, and we talked about this uh, last time we were together, when we talked about uh, common mistakes people make in Bible study, uh, we talked about how the, church, the early church became uh, despondent because Christ had not come back yet as he promised. Mm-hmm. And they began to get discouraged and you get two or 300 years after the, the church had been started and they start looking for other excuses and other answers and ways to explain why the kingdom had not come yet. And right. Satan used that time of discouragement to rise up some false teaching that suggested that the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Church, was in fact the kingdom. The Pope was the king, and the kingdom had already come. Now, of course, to suggest that uh, in in their day required them to mishandle the Word of God. They had to, oh, yeah. they had to treat the Word of God as if it was some spiritual, mystical, uh, you know, uh, code language and didn't really mean what it said. And so you get into church fathers like Origen, uh, who's known as the father of allegorical teaching,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or uh, Augustine and his uh, famous book, City of God. And it Mm -hmm. begins to uh, basically propagate the false notion that the kingdom was already in place and that uh, things were going to get better and better as the church dominated the world. Mm -hmm. So you fast forward into the Middle Ages and, and beyond and you see you know, the Crusades, and you see other, other things happening. But of course, the biblical record is that things are not going to get better and better. Uh, quite plainly, in known certain terms, the Word of God says things are going to get worse and worse, uh, because depravity is a degenerative disease. And the church is supposed to be a light in this perverse generation, as the Apostle Paul calls it. Mm-hmm. And we are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be spreading the gospel, making disciples, Uh, making a difference in this world where the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, as 1 John 5 tells us. Uh, We are living in an age where Satan is the god of this age. He's the prince of the power of the air. And all of these things I've uh, talked about uh, in some great detail there in my Spirit of the Antichrist series. So we know all that, but that's the biblical record. But the biblical record also includes that someday, in a time known only to God the Father, Uh, He's going to send his son Christ back, who's going to take the throne in fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy, uh, judge the the Antichrist and the false prophet, and bring peace and justice and righteousness to this sin-stricken world.
2: And that's going
1: to get better when the Prince of Peace takes the throne. Um, doesn't mean that we should have a pessimistic outlook and say, woe is me, you know, kind of like Chicken Little. We ought to recognize that in spite of the fact that this world is under the curse of sin and Satan is the prince of the power of the air, in spite of that, we do see the Spirit of God moving in powerful ways. We see revival happening. We see people getting saved. We see uh, God's plan working itself out. <clears throat> so we're not saying that we should all move to a mountaintop, say, woe is me, and just wait for things to get better. We have a job to do. The church is, uh, has, has a purpose in this present age. And one of those is to bring glory to God and to be a light to the pagan world. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a both and things are getting worse. Things are bad uh, and they won't get better until Christ comes back. But that said, we are the, you know, the, the light of the glory of God in this present age. We are his uh, image bearers, if you will. And we're supposed to be through the power of the spirit working in and through us restraining uh, sin and making a difference. So, um, but anyway, going back to that early church history, because <clears throat> they thought the kingdom was already in place, they sort of identified that with the new covenant. And so they, in their mind sort of divided, uh, the Bible and all of human history into old covenant times with Israel and new covenant times with the church. Right. And so you look at a lot of our old hymns and a lot of old writings of, uh, people, even some, um, with whom we would uh, agree, for the most part. They speak yeah. of this age, sort of synonymously calling it both the church age, and they'll also call it the new covenant age.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm going to explain why I think that's a bit of an overstatement, and kind of try to explain where the new covenant fits in God's uh, plan of the ages. So, uh, let's first look, I, I, uh, one of my favorite, uh, Bible scholars and most brilliant theologians that I know, uh, suggested a verse this morning from Hebrews chapter eight. So let's, let's use that as a springboard. <laughs> uh, that, and of course I'm talking about pastor Dick, <laughs> uh, but in Hebrews chapter eight, and I just taught through Hebrews, by the way, that series is still up on our. Website, if you're interested, it was 33 messages, uh, verse by verse through the Book of Hebrews. But if you go to Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verse 6, it's talking about Christ, who was um, the substance of the shadow of things in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And in verse 6, it says, "But now He, Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as He also He is also mediator of a better covenant." That was, right. which was established on better promises. Yeah. And then he goes on to quote Jeremiah 31. Yeah, and he nice. contrasts the new covenant with the Mosaic covenant, the first covenant. And he says, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second, Hebrews 8, 7. In other words, the, the fact that the Mosaic covenant was a failure, to make people righteous. It couldn't do that. And Paul talks about this as well. The law can never make anyone righteous. It simply highlights just how unrighteous we are. (laughs) Um, But because of that, a new covenant had to come. And then he quotes Jeremiah 31. And I'll just read it here from the Hebrews passage, and then we'll turn over to Jeremiah 31 and look at the surrounding context there. He says in verse 8, because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So, first of all, a good Bible student is going to recognize that this covenant is between God and the Jews, Israel and Judah. That's right. They'll also notice that it's a future covenant. It's not making it. He's saying someday I'm going to make this. And then he goes on to clarify, it's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, talking about the Mosaic covenant, because because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor. Again, a good Bible student is going to say, well, if the new covenant is talking about a time when no one needs to teach his neighbor about God, how do you reconcile that with the great commission that Jesus gave for the church, where we're to go into all the world and teach? <laughs> so we'll come back to that, uh, saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Does everyone on the planet know the earth, know the Lord today? Uh, know of the Lord? No. Uh, well, not hard.
0: Think most, most do.
1: Yeah, I think, well, of course, according to Romans one, everyone has a conscience and everyone knows of God through his general revelation, but yeah, it, we're hard, we're hardwired to understand he's there. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. We're hardwired uh, to know there's a God. Um, but in the context here, he's talking about teaching more in more specifics about the covenant, keeping God Yahweh and his redemptive plan. And no, not everybody knows about him today. That's self-evident. I'm not even sure everybody in the church knows about him these days, mm-hmm. um, in this days of the apostate church. But um, in any event, uh, we'll come back to this whole notion of, you know, do, do, does everybody know him? And when will everybody on earth have heard the gospel? I touch on that pretty heavily in my message that I just did in Duluth on one second before the second coming. Uh, in fact, let me just, since I, since I introduced it, You know, the fact of the matter is the Bible never promises that every person on earth will know about Jesus and hear the gospel prior to the rapture. That's the goal. And our goal is to spread the gospel far and wide um, and and so forth. But there's no guarantee in Scripture that that will happen. The rapture, of course, is imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could have happened 500 years ago and there would still have been unreached people groups at that time or could happen today, and today still we have people in the uh, far recesses of this earth that haven't heard about Jesus, so there's no such promise. However, we do have a very clear promise in God's Word from Jesus himself that prior to the second coming, prior to the establishment of his kingdom, everyone on earth will know about him, and that's found in Matthew 24 Uh, 14 this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the uttermost parts of the earth jesus said and then Mm -hmm. the end will come let me make sure i gave that reference right yes yeah 14 so uh what does he mean there he's talking in the context of the oliver discourse matthew 24 14 that You know, the the final seven-year period, the tribulation period, the great day of the Lord's wrath will take place. And during that time, God's going to have 144,000 Jewish missionaries that are going throughout the world to try to reach every unreached people group. And then at the 11th hour, as I talked about in my Revelation message uh, this week in Duluth, at the final waning moments, literally 24, 48 hours before the second coming when the Battle of Armageddon is gearing up, I believe uh, God's going to pass the torch from those 144,000 who reached all that they could, which, by the way, won't be easy to do. If you understand the devastation and horrific things that are going to be taking place in that final seven years as the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan collide, I mean, it's going to be devastation, and yeah. yet uh, they'll, they're going to do their best, but you know, they you think it's hard to travel now with the TSA, oh, yeah. imagine traveling the globe back then because these 144,000 are not going to turn into supernatural superheroes that can just take flight and you know they're going to have to be limited to the same uh, restrictions of time space and matter and trying to travel through these devastated parts of the world when wars are going on and so forth but in any event they're going to reach many people but in order for Jesus promise that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness Mm -hmm. to all the nations before mm-hmm. the end comes. Now it's going to pass the torch. We read about this in Revelation 14, 6 to an angel and an angel will go and preach the everlasting gospel. He can zip around the world and not have, not be subject to time, space, and matter. And so he's going to reach any remaining people that have not heard the gospel. Um, yep. That's my understanding of it. And I think it's quite interesting to me that you find two places in the Bible when an angel is, announcing good news, proclaiming the gospel, you is the verb there. One is at the first advent of Christ when the angel told the shepherd, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And then at the second coming, you also have an angelic evangelist who's preaching. Right. The gospel. So all that to say, if we go back to uh, our passage in, uh, jeremiah Aaron, and hebrews 8 just quoting from jeremiah 31 when the prophet predicted that someday everyone will know of him from the least to the greatest
2: mm-hmm. by
1: comparing scripture with scripture we know that that day is going to be in the kingdom when christ yes. comes back and by the time he comes back everyone will have heard some will have heard and believed romans ten seventeen: faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god and those who believe will enter the kingdom and then mm-hmm. uh, over time, as people are born into the kingdom in their physical bodies, they too will be born dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians two one, They too will need to be born again by faith. And mm-hmm. uh, but regardless, over the thousand year millennium, uh, anyone in the kingdom will know about Jesus because he'll be sitting on the throne, ruling the world, giving the state of the world address every January, you know, and uh, so uh, that's what Jeremiah the prophet's talking about. Um, and then he closes out by saying, uh, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish, Hebrews mm-hmm. eight thirteen. Mm-hmm. So there are several key characteristics of the, you know, the new covenant that I think we need to be fair and look at and say, hey, is this happening today? Uh, now, I understand that many Bible teachers suggest that the new covenant is in some aspect in place today. Um, I don't believe that. And mm-hmm. for anyone cries heresy, let me make the case. Um, I believe the church is a mystery.
2: It is, yeah.
1: it is an age that was completely unknown and un revealed in the old testament but mm-hmm. has now been revealed according to ephesians 3 and that church age that we are currently living in constitutes a unique and separate work of god uh, from his plan with for israel again mm-hmm. this wasn't an afterthought or something new to god god knew in the mind of god all along what his plan of the ages was but in the progress of revelation as he revealed it Uh, to us that didn't come until the new testament and and we're now living in this you know present age the mystery age and everything about the church and i i talked about previously i think on your program some of the purposes of the church um everything about it is separate from israel and and so it is in in every sense of the word a foretaste or a foreshadowing, or a microcosm, you might say, of what things will look like in the glorious kingdom. So we have some characteristics today that are similar to what life will be like in the kingdom, but that doesn't mean that it's the fulfillment of all of the kingdom promises that are outlined by Jeremiah the prophet. So um, if we go back to Jeremiah 31, you know, it reads, just like it was quoted in Hebrews. Behold, the days are coming. Jeremiah 31, 31. Easy to remember because it's 31, 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So he's looking forward and essentially saying a better day is coming. Hold on. God has not forsaken his covenant with you. In fact, he he actually says that in verse 35. Listen to this, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinance of moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. Listen to this, if those ordinances, talking about the sun and the moon and the stars, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me uh, forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. So he's saying, look, as long as you look up and see stars in the sky, you know that my covenant with you still stands.
0: Absolutely.
1: You've been disobedient and you're facing judgment and discipline. A better day is coming. The promises that God made going all the way back in the garden, really, to in Genesis 3.15, when he promised that one day, the seed of the woman, Christ, yes. would crush the head and destroy evil Satan who fell mm-hmm. with one-third of the the angels and has been trying to destroy the earth ever since.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he's the destroyer, Apollyon. He's the great deceiver. Uh, he's the dragon. And so you know, God wanted Israel to know, even in this low time, that a better day was coming. So I don't think that those promises uh, have been fulfilled yet. Um, we know, for example, that it's a Jewish covenant um, mm-hmm. and we're not Jews. Uh, we know mm-hmm. that it is, um, you know, relates to a time when all the earth will know of the Lord. That's certainly not true today. Um, Ezekiel 36, uh, let's flip over there for a second because we get some really insightful uh, details about the new covenant that's another you know passage that deals with the new covenant so Ezekiel 36 um, reminds us um, that um, in verse let's look at verse 11 okay let's see well that's actually talking about uh, Verses 10 and 11, I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, and the city shall be inhabited, and the ruins rebuilt. So he's talking about the land of Israel in the future. But skip down to the spiritual aspect uh, when he says um, uh, in verse 24, Mm -hmm. then I will take you from among the nations. This is Ezekiel 36, 24. Gather you out of all countries and bring you into your land. Now, when is that going to happen? Jesus tells us. It's going to happen at his second coming, Matthew 24, uh, you know, 31. So he'll send his angels and they'll gather the, the, you know, Israel into the land in belief. So clearly we're talking second coming kingdom time frame. But oh, notice yes. then, verse 25, then, that's a time marker. That means after I've gathered all the countries and brought you back mm-hmm. into land, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Now, there is no question that those verses, verses 24 to 28 refer to the future kingdom age um, right we see a lot of examples a lot of reasons for that that phrase you will be my people and you will be my god we read that in revelation 20 uh, and 21 when when he makes all things new um, this notion of you know them being brought back into the land clearly that jesus tells us happens at his second coming to take the throne so what has happened through the years through again through bad hermeneutics bad bible study methods is people read passages like verse twenty-seven, "I will put my Spirit within you," and they relate that to the New Testament, where obviously when we believe in Christ, we receive the Spirit of God, who takes up residence within us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, and they think this is that. But similarity does not mean identity. You know, right? If I have a red car and it's a let's say it's a Ford F one hundred and fifty and uh, Curtis, uh, I'm telling you about my Ford F-150, and I say, it's red, and you go, oh, that's interesting. I have a red car, too. Am I going to assume that your car is automatically an F-150 just because it's red? Of course not. No. And so going back to my suggestion that the church is a foretaste or foreshadowing, you know, God wanted to show the world, and especially Israel, what intimacy with him is like where we can boldly approach the throne room as Hebrews talks about in chapter four without having to go through a human mediator, because we have a once for all high priest in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. uh, who made the final sacrifice. And so we, we have unmitigated new access and intimacy with uh, our father in heaven through the shed blood of Christ. And so that's a foreshadowing of, of what life will be like for Israel in the kingdom as a nation, which they've never had before, and a a Jew who gets saved today becomes part of the church, the bride of Christ. Okay. Um, they're baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. So, but the nation of Israel, ever since they rejected the Messiah at uh, you know and, and, and crowned him with thorns instead of a king's crown, has never experienced as a nation that level of access to God, and that's really? what's coming when the new covenant uh, is fulfilled. So uh, again, all you have to do is read the passages. You know, also, if, as we read in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So people who suggest that we are living in the age of the new covenant today need to take a good look in the mirror, because if you ever sin, then you're clearly violating what God said would be the case here. He doesn't say you might, or you probably will, or most of the time you, you will. He says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, the very fact that we live in an age where there's a flesh spirit struggle, an old man new man struggle, and we don't always do uh, what uh, we are supposed to do, our positional righteousness in Christ is not always reflected practically with our practical righteousness. Sometimes there's a dichotomy there, as Paul talks about in Romans 7. That won't be the case in the kingdom. Do you realize when the new covenant's in place, believers will never sin? What a a thought. What an amazing thought. So there are a lot of reasons, I think, biblically, that we can and should understand that the, the New Testament I mean, the new covenant is not in force uh, today. Um, now, you know, some people will say, well, what about the, the, uh, up, the upper room and the Lord's Supper where Jesus says, you know, this cup is the new covenant and my blood. Well, they need to understand again, God's covenant program and when each covenant was ratified and when they will be fulfilled. See, there's right. a difference between ratifying a covenant, which means sort of establishing it officially,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and inaugurating it, which means the blessings of that covenant actually come to fruition. And the illustration I've used many times is that of an election. You know, when we have a presidential, when, when we used to have presidential elections, and you're
2: voted,
1: <laughs> um, wow. we, we would ratify, quote unquote, yeah. the vote, uh, usually, in we have the vote in November, usually shortly thereafter it's ratified. And, but the new president's not inaugurated until January, right? Right. right? So, in the same way, God has made a foundational, unconditional covenant with all of mankind mm-hmm. that has been put in place and has, after the cross, now been ratified. But, and by the way, there's no funny business. God did not subcontract out the counting of votes to China.
2: He did it himself.
0: <laughs> right. And, uh,
1: and it's been fully ratified, and you can count on the results. And the results are that God's kingdom will come. But it hasn't been inaugurated yet. In other words, you might say that the whole church age is like a lame duck period as it relates to the kingdom. I'm not suggesting the church is not. Uh, an an amazing and beautiful and key part of God's program it is an absolutely a key part of God's program and those believers in the church age who serve faithfully will reign with Christ and will all be serving in positions of authority greater or less authority and in the kingdom and and so on and so forth but as it relates to God's kingdom promise to Israel the church is unconnected and so uh, the kingdom you know, when we talk about ratification, the, the covenants that I'm talking about here, the foundational one is in Genesis 12, when God promised Abraham a, you know, land, seed, and blessing. He said someday, you know, that your seed that's in the nation of Israel will rule and reign from this king kingdom and this boundary and even gives the geographic markers, which is why we know it's literal and not spiritual. Yeah. He says you're going to have a seed that's ultimately this ultimate seed of Abraham is Christ, and you're going to have blessing through you. All the entire earth will be blessed, just like we read about a few moments ago. Uh, and then later on, uh, that covenant was reiterated uh, in Deuteronomy with the land aspects of it, uh, often called the Palestinian covenant, uh, also in Genesis 15. And uh, then later on, it was reiterated again to David in 2 Samuel 7, where the seed aspects, the promise of a uh, eternal son on the throne, uh, as David reiterated in uh, Psalm uh, 2, and also Psalm 110, uh, Messianic Psalms. So we see uh, this, this unconditional covenant that was initially described in Genesis 12 to Abraham, reaffirmed in Deuteronomy and in 2 Samuel. And then you come fast forward now another 500 years or so to Jeremiah, and you come to the new covenant. And whereas the Abrahamic, the Palestinian, the Davidic covenants, those three were all made and ratified in their day, the new covenant promise, as we read, is a promise of a future covenant. And he says, the days are coming someday when I will make this covenant. Well, when was the new covenant made and ratified? It was ratified at the cross. And that's the reason that just hours before he was betrayed, arrested, tried, and crucified, just hours, Jesus establishes that this cup, my blood that I'm about to shed is the new covenant uh, in my blood. And so, you know, that's that's when the new covenant was ratified. And so by the time you get to Calvary, when it's all over, indeed, the entire covenant program of God has now been ratified, and it awaits inauguration when uh, the the King of Kings and Lord of Lords uh, comes back. So when going back to Romans 8, where we started, when the writer of Hebrews says, you know, uh, in verse uh, 6, uh, he is the mediator, he Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. He's not suggesting that that covenant is in force today. He's just saying that the Jesus Christ that we serve is the one who ratified by his own blood this new covenant that we look forward to someday. And right. the reason he goes into such great detail about it in chapter eight and, and he quotes Jeremiah so extensively is because he's talking to a Jewish audience. Um, who were believers. They had trusted in Christ and become Christians, but because of the persecution they were facing under uh, the crazy man Nero, many uh, Jewish Christians were contemplating abandoning Christianity and going back to Judaism because it was still somewhat of a safe haven and under the protective uh, cover of Rome, and, and they weren't the targets of Rome's persecution. And so the writer of the whole book of Hebrews is writing to remind them, you know, look, this would be a mistake. Don't you remember? You know, the old covenant is 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 nothing compared to what's uh, coming. And uh, go back to Hebrews 2, as he begins to make this argument right off the bat that Jesus Christ is superior to anything and everything the old covenant has to offer. The old covenant was just the shadow or copy. Jesus Christ is the real deal. A very important verse is verse five in chapter two of Hebrews, where he says, He has not put the world to come of which right. we speak in subjection to angels. In other words, the writer says, What we're talking about in this letter is the world to come. Yes. So I understand we're not in the kingdom now. I understand you wish we were, but hang on, a better yeah. day is coming. And and all of his references in the rest of Hebrews to the new covenant have to be seen in the light of that qualifying perspective in chapter 2 verse 5 where he says we're talking about the world to come right so i think it's very um meaningful and applicable and encouraging to believers today even though we may not be jewish believers but we too especially today are facing terrible uh unspeakable uh difficulties and Christians are being murdered and, and martyred all around the world. And, and if the Lord tarries is coming, we're going to face similar things in this country. And already we're already beginning to see that. And we need to remember that the world in which we live is not the world that's going to come someday. And that's right. keep our, your eyes set on, on that uh, that future. So that's kind of a summary of, of kind of the new covenant. Clearly, there are many things that God has designed in his uh sovereign plan of the ages that today are similar to for the church to what life will be like in the kingdom. Um, but similarity doesn't mean identity. It, the right. actual covenant promise that we read about in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 make it an impossibility that the new covenant uh, could be in place today unless you ignore those passages and spiritualize them or claim that God changed his mind because as I read those passages, where nobody is sinning, everybody knows about the Lord, it's unprecedented peace, I I have a hard time applying that to the world we live today.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would kind of be an impossibility right now, wouldn't it, JB?
1: It really would. So, you know, that's kind of a summary. Um, you know, if you guys have thoughts or questions, I'd be glad to kind of elaborate a little bit more. I'd be curious what Pastor Dick, uh, uh, what his perspective is as well.
0: Well, I, right. I, we can. I'd like to I'd like to go back to one of our, our previous podcasts with you on hermeneutics this is another reason that it's it's your hermeneutic or your the way you study the Bible is so important uh, there's so much that is misunderstood because of a bad study uh, your human hermene- your hermeneutic has to be literal uh, in in my opinion and I think you know we, we all take the Bible literally and therefore, you know, it, it's it's easier to understand when you don't try to allegorize it uh, too much. So um, I'm glad we did that the week before last, I think, on, on hermeneutics. So um, the pastor's got something to add, too, on oh, the new covenant.
2: Uh, how can
0: I add to what the great
2: J.B. Hickson has said, except, except this. Uh, J.B., you have smashed the smithereens um the uh, doctrine of replacement theology yes yeah that's absolutely wrong the church does not replace Israel and when we read Hebrews 8 8 where the words new covenant occur it's with Israel and Judah the yeah. two the two sections of Israel yeah and and in, in Ezekiel 37 says very plainly, talking about joining the two sticks together, reuniting Israel. So, yeah, the new covenant is, in fact, all of the covenants were with regard, were with regard to Israel. Israel. Yeah.
1: yeah, no yeah. question. And to just to clarify for some listeners that may, you know, not be familiar with replacement theology, replacement theology is a descriptive term that uh, people use when they say that the church today is the new Israel, that we have replaced Israel in God's plan, and according to that erroneous view, God is completely done with Israel. Uh, they're not There is no future for national Israel. All of the blessings that were promised to Israel have been, they say, fulfilled spiritually in you and I, but Again, as Kurt said, and as you piggybacked on, uh, Pastor Dick, uh, the if you if you practice sound hermeneutics and read the Bible in its plain, normal sense, not trying to twist the words or make them mean something different, uh, then replacement theology completely crumbles, because mm-hmm. these promises, as we just read, were made with Israel, and
2: Absolutely.
1: how unfair would it be for God to tell these Jews? who by that time had, you know, had, you know, centuries earlier, you know, a thousand, almost a thousand years earlier, had left Egypt, wandered in the wilderness, crossed into the promised land, endured uh, all kinds of things under the thumb of Assyria and now Babylon and all through those thousand years or so, they've been promised again and again, hang on, one day you're gonna get the land, you're gonna get your temple, you're gonna get your throne, you're gonna get your boundaries and blessings. And and how unfair of God would it be for him to let them believe that when what he really meant is, no, no, I'm not talking about an actual kingdom, a physical kingdom, I'm talking about spiritual blessings, and you'll you'll you know, you'll be able to. Practice Christian hedonism someday, like some replacement theologians suggest today. So yes. that would be, you know, yes. you know, not in not consistent with God's character. God means what he says. Um, yes, he does. And you know, I want to hasten to add that, you know, I'm not suggesting that somehow the church is uh, insignificant or does not play a major role in God's plan of the ages. We absolutely do. We are center stage right now. We are God's plan to evangelize the world and his only plan, by the way. You know, uh, that's why Not By Works Ministries, I often say, uh, you know, we appreciate and need your uh, support. And if God lays on your heart to support Not By Works, fantastic. But you need to give to your local church first. You need to find a Bible teaching, Bible believing church that's handling the scripture correctly. And that should be your primary avenue of giving because that's God's divine design, and not by works, uh, comes alongside churches, helps equip churches, speaks, you know, we speak in churches, hold conferences in churches, so that we can undergird the the local church and work alongside them, but, so I'm not suggesting the church is somehow insignificant, because that's the way replacement theologians make it sound. Uh, All I'm saying is that they have way overstated the church in God's plan of the ages, so that it eclipses and forgets about God's unconditional guaranteed promises to Israel. And a good passage that I always like to point out uh, to replacement theologians is, well, really Romans chapters 9 through 11 yeah. in total, but specifically chapter 11. Yeah. Paul says in our, yeah, chapter 11, verse 11, when he says, Ha, has Israel stumbled that they should utterly fall? <laughs> Certainly not. Sir, right. This isn't a total and complete rejection. It's not final. Uh, there's, there's a future coming. And then he goes on to say, but through their fall, talking about Israel, yep. to provoke them to jealousy, yep. salvation has come to the Gentiles. Amen. Yeah. So the church is just, you know, one purpose of the church is to provoke Israel to jealousy, which is exactly what I was saying about the characteristics of the new covenant. God is giving through the church a glimpse of glory, a foretaste Mm -hmm. of things to come to show the Jews what they missed so that during the tribulation period, after the church has already been caught up to meet the Lord in the air, Israel will have in their mind as they hear the gospel being proclaimed, oh yeah, I, I know now, I see now what, what it's going to be like when I'm united by faith with my creator uh, as Abraham was when he believed God and was declared righteous as our father Abraham was. So they're going to have a visual picture, at least if the church is doing its job, uh, that will help motivate them this time around instead of rejecting him. To believe him instead of crying crucify him crucify him they're going to cry hosanna hosanna blesses you who comes in the lord Mm -hmm. and and by the way it just occurred to me as i was saying that that's why it's so critical that the church remain unblemished and unspotted and you know separate from the world because when we are indistinguishable from the world uh then it's it's a blight on christ himself and it's it's not accomplishing what our task is because many, th- many unbelievers, whether Jews or not, look at the church today and how hypocritical and ungodly so many Christians are, and they say, if that's what it's like, uh-huh. say, I don't want any part of that. Yep. I've often said, uh, you know, there's two reasons. There are two reasons why people have never uh, become a Christian or believe the gospel. The first is perhaps they've never met a Christian who shared the gospel with them, but the second is perhaps they've met a Christian.
0: Perhaps well, they uh, a Christian, yeah. yeah.
1: And the testimony is such that it it really brought shame to our Lord. So, anyway, sorry for that little addendum there at the end, but I just wanted to clarify what we mean by replacement theology. Okay, <laughs>
2: I'm glad I asked the question. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, I wish we could do this all day long. Don't you? Me too. Someday we'll have to when I'm in town, we'll have to go to lunch and just uh, go to an IHOP or some 24-hour place and just sit and talk, you know? Yep, yep, yep. I'm in favor of it.
2: So so one day after the rapture, we can do that.
1: (laughs) Amen. Yeah, we can. I wonder if they have IHOPs in heaven. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, if they do, they're not requiring masks. we we've. we've
1: Amen. Uh, Amen. to that. <laughs> <laughs> one,
2: one, one, of the things that I wanted to, to, to run by you um, um, is, um, and now it's, not, and now you got me on. <laughs> is, is, is the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. Well, won't the rapture be a sign to the Jews where they will? have a head-banging moment and say, those Christians were right after all, and then Ezekiel 35 and following will happen. Israel will then come into the
1: land. Yeah, I think um, this, this rapture is, is absolutely the biggest sign that the Jews will see. Obviously, if they know their Old Testament prophecy, there will be many things unfolding in that period after the rapture that should make the light will go off but the rapture is one of them uh and it's taught of course in the new testament not the old testament but there will be plenty of signs as far as the regathering in the land i think it's going to be it's going to be gradual throughout the tribulation until the midpoint anyway okay the Midpoint uh, when the abomination of desolation occurs that's when Jesus says, head for the hill. So they'll be actually fleeing away from the city. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. But the fulfillment of the regathering will not occur in, in total until Jesus comes back. And that is a supernatural regathering. That's words, right. Even okay. today in our own age, we've seen people returning to the homeland ever since uh, 1948. But that to me, and some people disagree with me on this, and that's fine. I respect them. Um but that to me is not the fulfillment of prophecy. It's a setting of the stage for prophecy. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's yeah. what
2: we believe here. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I'm glad you agree with me and Jesus. That makes me feel better. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I've got a lot of questions and not enough time to get them all in. But uh we thank you so much, JB. We yeah, we're uh, glad to have you back, back JB. We, yeah, yeah, we talk about you all the time and and believe it or not, it's all good. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love it as well. And perhaps, and maybe uh, Curtis and I can talk about this, but maybe uh, in our next uh, session next week or in an upcoming one, we can sort of dedicate it to a Q&A and a uh, And, you know, you, you can ask questions and maybe bring some questions from listeners or whatever. And we can just kind of have a back and forth dialogue because that's always very instructive in my mind.
0: That's, I like it. You I like it. That'd be great format.
1: Let's do it. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, I guess we're going to wrap it up for the day though. I know you got some other things you've got to do. And, and so do we, uh, life, life, uh, is kind of busy, but boy, I'll tell you what, I would, I would always make time to do this. Uh, and I know you would too, JB. Thank you Thanks, again sir. for being with us, my brother. So, uh, I want to remind our listeners of a couple of things. Number one, uh, we'll be doing this uh, next Tuesday. JB will be with us as far as I know, correct, JB? That's right. Looking forward to it. Okay, yeah, we are too. Um, but also, uh, Pastor Dick will have a segment coming up, a new segment coming up this Saturday morning. Yep. And so will Lucas Doremus uh, on Saturday night. So just a reminder, uh, tune in and listen to those segments. You'll You'll love them you get some great information and uh, a reminder to tune in to uh, notbyworks.org live stream this when uh, Well, actually tonight. No, yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow night uh, live stream Wednesday's event. Uh, you, you'll not want to miss that. And uh, and if you are in the, the Denver area and you're looking for a church, uh, you will not. I, I venture to say. You will not find uh, a better uh, Bible-believing church than Plum Creek Chapel, and I know that you'll not find a better pastor than Dr. J.B. Hickson. Come visit. Amen. Yeah, there's, yeah,
1: I, th- I, th- I think you'll find a church home right away. Amen. There are some good churches in our area. In fact, several of the pastors uh, from the greater Denver, Colorado Springs area were at the Duluth Conference but I may be a little biased, but I completely agree with you. I think Plum Creek got to work by far the best. So come see us uh, Sundays or Wednesdays, and yeah, tomorrow night six o'clock Mountain Time is our live stream.
0: Amen, amen. So for now, we're going to sign off for today. JB, thank you once again, and God bless you for being with us, brother. We we certainly wouldn't have this any other way. We look forward to Tuesdays with you, man. Yes, I do, and my pleasure. I know our listeners do too. So this is the Christian Underground News Network, signing off until Saturday morning. May God bless and keep you.